0: Mission accomplished. This week, the 170th Street pedestrian bridge is done. And allegedly, the Valley Line LRT will be done soon, too. Plus, the as of yet unnamed Northeast
1: River Valley Park will be opening at the end of the month. Big September. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're. Speaking Municipally.
0: Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 232. Mac, I think. This is the last episode of Speaking Municipally. We started in August of 2018 with the news that WEM had suddenly destroyed a pedestrian bridge and we followed the saga to get it replaced. And Mac, it's done now. The bridge is up. You can walk over it. There's been photo ops. It's really, really done. It's actually open to the public.
1: It's later than planned, of course. It was supposed to be open late last year probably several times before that too, but they did get the project done. $10.4 million bridge. In the end, the cost was shared between the city and West Edmonton Mall. And it's an important connection point for people out in the West. It connects, obviously, West Edmonton Mall with the the transit center and also the Misericordia Hospital on the other side and is important for anyone who has a hope of crossing 170th Street safely, given the number of lanes and amount of traffic they have over there. So yeah, it's actually open. It's a miracle.
0: I heard some fairly hot takes because, you know, when I heard this news, my first thought is... Great, it's open, but it's been five years for a pedestrian bridge. Like, we shouldn't take five years to build a bridge, much less a bridge for only pedestrians. It doesn't really have to do the engineering for, you know, massive trucks driving over top, but it's just some people prancing around. (laughs) Sure, there was arguments about who should fund this, because Wem was supposed to be on the hook for the whole thing. They ended up not being on the hook. And there was some deals behind the scenes to align with Valley Line construction and all of that. And you could definitely hear a politician or a city councillor argue how this is a good thing. This is the process working. Look at the value we got. But at the end of the day, Mac, this is a pretty glaring indictment on the way we build infrastructure in the city. But I think even more glaring is that it was five years And there were no alternatives in the five years. Even street-level crossings got actively worse because the intersections are completely torn up. I am aghast that something that could be celebrated as so critically important and an important connection in all these news releases wasn't important enough to warrant any action in five years.
1: Except for, of course us on this podcast saying, what's going on here? Uh, yeah, I think that's a fair point. Our infrastructure builds in this city have been heavily criticized for years now, not just with this kind of thing, but bigger projects like LRTs or, you know, I'm thinking of the Bridge Over Road with the infamous girders and all of those kinds of projects. The other thing we've talked about on the show a couple of times is not just that whole process of how do we get the thing built? Why did it take so long? Did we actually need to over-engineer this thing? But also that once the project is deemed open and finished by the city, it's not always actually complete, right? And so on this particular project, I saw some criticism right away that there's nothing to prevent pedestrians from throwing things off the bridge, as if this is a really common problem, I don't know. But the other thing that struck me is when I watched Counselor Knack's video, So he recorded himself riding across the bridge to celebrate that this new bridge is now open. And it took so long that he used to be the counselor that represented that area and does not anymore. (laughs) Like we've had changes in the course of the development of this bridge. But did you watch his video? At the end, he kind of turns off the bridge to get onto the path and it looks like it just stops and he starts to drive over the grass to get to the trail. Like it doesn't actually look done to me. It may be open, but I wonder if it's done.
0: Well, maybe another five years.
1: <laughs> There's always always time to do the landscaping.
0: Speaking of things opening in five years from now, I lost my podcaster card this summer because I staked it on the claim that Valley Line LRT would be opened by Folk Fest. I had in the cackles of my heart, you know, I knew that we were getting close. And I argued that cable replacement was a good thing and that this actually meant we were opening soon. And FolkFest came and went, and the train didn't open, which was very sad for me. But as we're recording this, Thursday, September 7th, there was some pretty big news released. TransEd
1: has announced that the cable replacement is now complete. So you'll recall they found these corroded cables. We talked on the show previously about how there could be so many kilometers of cables along this relatively short line. But they took the proactive step of replacing those cables so that they don't, in theory, have to do that again now for the next 30 years. And all 13 kilometers are ready for further testing. And so over the next few weeks, TransEd says trains will be operating along the entire line, mimicking regular passenger service so that certifiers can deem it ready to open. So this means, Troy, that A fall opening is upon us. Now, summer doesn't end until, what is it, September 21st or something like that. So fall, I suppose, comes a little bit after that. But soon, nonetheless.
0: Yeah, fall's a pretty quick timeline. Though we have had more specific timelines than fall in the past. And we've never met any of those before. I will be convinced when I'm sitting on the train. I think it is definitely notable that they have said a fall opening and that they're saying we are doing our final certification. Like the way this press release is worded is sort of like if all goes well, you know, it could open next week, right? They are pushing for soon, but I think they've learned not to give an actual date. The
1: other thing it sort of suggests is that it's out of their hands now, right? Like TransEd has done what it needs to do and it's now in the hands of the independent certifiers who need to look at this sign off on it, and give the all clear to open the line, which is different than where we've been in the past, where Trendset has still had ownership over the next step in
0: the process. And it's really dependent on them to make that happen. I can definitely recall a period with the Metro Line LRT, though, where Thallus, the signaling contractor, had said, this is out of our hands. The independent safety certifier needs to certify the line. Right, And the independent safety certifier said... Your stuff doesn't work, Thallus. You need to fix it. <laughs> um, so, you know, just because TransEd says it's out of their hands doesn't necessarily mean it is. I would be interested to see TransEd try to spin sort of like the delays that are caused by the city and the safety certifier. I hope they're not so dense as to try that because that would go over like a lead balloon mm-hmm. with a city who has seen Pretty gross incompetence over the course of this construction of the line. I'm pretty tapped in to city council. I tend to hear rumors. My suspicion is that council had no idea this release was coming, which just highlights to me another critical failing of the P3 process. City council is supposed to be our liaison. City council is supposed to be who the public can interface with to learn more about the city, to keep updated. The fact that city councillors have no idea what's going on with the Valley line process by design, like Transit certainly could tell them, but they don't tell city council basically anything. I think it's intensely problematic. And I feel like this release probably caught a lot of counselors and probably the mayor flat footed because I have not seen sufficient celebration from city council. If I was on city council and I heard hey, we've got a fall opening, the trains are running for safety certification. I might have planned newsletter releases, videos, some sort of content to communicate with constituents so that they would get more than a blog post on a website that doesn't even have a valid SSL certificate. <laughs> get on that, TransEd folks. Brief editor's note from the future, TransEd has actually fixed the SSL certificate issue with their website, but it doesn't change that this was still intensely funny So I'm leaving it in. It's quite possible that council
1: did receive a memo or something behind the scenes about this announcement that it was coming. We're not sure about that. It doesn't seem like it because, as you point out, you would think that counselors would be in the news right away, talking about, look, we're getting there, job's going to be done right away, all your patience is about to be rewarded. And none of that has happened so far. Maybe we're just too quick with the news this time, Troy, I don't know. But it could also be that Council 2 has learned not to get (laughs) burned on this project. And don't count your chickens before they're hatched. And so they might be reticent to come out and celebrate until they are also... Riding along the line, not in a test capacity, but in a in a real capacity,
0: though, even so if I'm in the position as a counselor where, you know, I don't want to count my chickens before they hatch. I might go in the news and say, hey, it's good that TransEd's finally gotten done, but it's been their fault for the past two years. And I definitely say all the delays are not costing taxpayers, as oh yeah, council loves to reiterate. Right. I didn't know that, but I'm glad
1: they remind us of that every few
0: weeks when (laughs) we
1: get an update on the LRT
0: project. Yeah. Taxpayers are on the hook for photo radar tickets that City of Edmonton transit drivers get on the job after the Alberta Court of Appeal upheld a previous arbitration decision, basically saying that requiring transit operators to pay photo radar tickets amounted to basically double discipline.
1: Yeah, this was a policy that changed in July 2021. And that arbitration case found that if you make the drivers pay the fines while also being subject to disciplinary action, that you're punishing them unfairly. And Postmedia reports that since that time, the city's paid nearly $50,000 in photo enforcement fines. And this only applies, of course, to photo enforcement tickets, not drivers who are
0: pulled over and ticketed. Which is the confusing part of this ruling for me, because I think it's a tenuous argument to make that it's double discipline. In the course of your job, if you break the law, having the lawman charge you with breaking the law and also saying, hey, you broke the law, that reflects poorly on us. That's not great. I'm thinking if someone works at McDonald's And they assault a customer. They're going to get disciplined by their manager saying you shouldn't punch people in McDonald's. But I don't think McDonald's should have to pay their fine or, you know, go to jail in their stead. Like that's that doesn't make any sense. Or worse, customers of McDonald's. Which is really
1: what's happening here. It's not ultimately the city that would pay these fines. It's taxpayers. For
0: sure, yeah. Um. Though, if we're being real about capitalism, customers would pay through increased food prices. Sure, okay. It seems that the dividing line is because the city of Edmonton runs the photo radar enforcement. If they were collecting fines for photo radar violations, then that is double discipline insofar as the city is, quote-unquote, profiting off the infringement. So it's like the city is lever- leveraging another fine against them. I understand how that conclusion was made, but it strikes me as patently absurd, especially given that if a police officer pulls a bus driver over and issues a ticket, the driver is on the hook to pay that ticket. I don't know that the mechanism by which enforcement occurs should change the culpability of the person who has violated the law. that That doesn't hold water to me.
1: Yeah, it is an interesting decision to base it on the way the ticket is issued. What do you think about the uh, suggestion by the transit union? Transit drivers, by the way, account for about 25% of all the tickets that city vehicles have received in that time period. What do you think about the transit union suggesting that this is basically an absurd amount of money that the city has spent just to fight this to the Court of Appeal? The, the, the union says, by the way, that they think they've spent close to $100,000 on legal fees over the course of the hearings, and this $50,000 that they've collected will be redistributed back to union members.
0: I hear what the union's saying, and I do agree that it is absurd, both the price that the city has paid and that the union has paid, but that is more an indictment on our legal system in general. Sure. I think it is absurd that it costs this much to litigate anything, but I think... In the case of the city, I could never conscientiously ask the city to do anything else because we've long defended, you know, with studies done by the U of A that photo enforcement makes our streets safer. We have evidence to support this claim. If we were to acquiesce and say, except for bus drivers, right, like bus drivers aren't made safe in the same way that every other driver is, I think that would really undermine our moral authority to issue these tickets going forward. I feel this is a lot like the other lawsuit that is being brought forward to the city of Edmonton about houseless encampments and encampment clearing right now, where the city is in a rock and a hard place. They're going to get criticism for going to court and spending hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars fighting this. But what's the alternative? The tenuous role that cities have in both uh, enforcement and bylaw creation and the expense of our legal system I don't see any other choice.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably right. I mean, you've got to defend your decisions and your your actions when challenged. And it's unfortunate that it costs so much money to do it. But I think you're right. There isn't really another choice here for council. It would set a really bad precedent. And indeed, if
0: the city decided, okay, well, based on this ruling, every photo radar ticket we issue to city bus drivers, we collect say, 67% of the fees, but then are basically giving the province free money because the province takes a cut of every ticket. Yeah. So maybe as a city, if you're optimizing just your total cash flow, you might say, well, we don't issue vote enforcement tickets to ETS drivers anymore. And that does make sense intrinsically. But if you're talking from a traffic sp- safety perspective and a vision zero perspective, a bus is huge. Yeah. Anyone hit by a bus is going to die usually. I would say buses are probably the most important vehicles to be issuing photo radar tickets to. So it's it's just a rock and a hard place situation where the city, they cannot win here. No, that's true. And if we're racking up the L's for the city, especially in the public discourse, it's the single use item bylaw. Uh, that is one bylaw that city council has passed with the best of intentions and maybe some might argue with the best of actual implementation, but... If you go to any news article where single-use plastic items are mentioned, there is endless vitriol being hurled at our mayor and at our city council for this bylaw. City council argued about it this week, didn't do anything about it, but argued about it.
1: Yeah, they got an update this week about the single-use item bylaw and how it's been going. So it was introduced, of course, on July 1st. Complaints, interestingly, about the bylaw have gone down. So I guess that's to be maybe expected that when it's brand new, people are trying to figure it out, you complain more and then they go down. So from 536 in July to just 122 in August, we didn't get a whole lot of action. As you say, the main outcome of the discussion this week was for council to hear how it's going as if they hadn't already heard from constituents how it's going, and to say that, you know, we might make some changes. And that could happen in November. They're looking to perhaps make some adjustments to the bylaw to bring it in line with the federal
0: single-use item policy that takes effect in December. The marquee complaint item is going through drive-thrus yep. and not getting your fries in a paper bag. I, I gotta say, I think McDonald's had the city council lobby locked down with how many councillors talked about fries in bags. That was a constant refrain. And Mac, I know anecdotes aren't evidence, but I do want to share an anecdote because I talk with people. yeah, And I've talked with people a lot about the single-use plastic bylaw. And without fail, it's always so close to hitting the point. And there was this one conversation I had where this guy was railing on me saying, how can you support this single-use item bylaw? I go to McDonald's and I used to get a bag and it kept me clean and kept my fries from getting grease on everything. And now I have to pay for a bag, so I keep a plastic bin in my car to put my fast food items in. How can city council say this is okay? And I'm just like, okay. So now every time you go through a drive through You've got a reusable bin that meets your needs and you don't get a paper bag. It sounds like it's working phenomenally. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a good point.
1: Like I had a similar experience. I myself went to a McDonald's drive-thru, placed my order, and the person asked if I wanted a bag. And, you know, it's just sort of reflexive that you say no when people ask you first. No, I don't want to. No, no, no. Stop asking me. And I just said no. And then I was like, oh, no. Actually, I probably could have used a bag and I'm, I'm fine to pay the 15 cents, but I have small kids. We have a basket in the back of the car with books. So I just dumped the books out and used the basket and it worked out well. Like I didn't actually need the bag in the end uh, because I had this reusable, environmentally friendly, safe container in my car. What was interesting about that experience is that if you've ever been to McDonald's since July 1st, it's very clear on all of their signage that this is the city Forcing this charge upon you and not McDonald's.
0: So there's, you know, a little bit of redirection happening. While this is an inconvenience for a lot of people, I have just seen a lot of major successes. One of the major things I think is like someone goes to Tim Hortons or McDonald's and gets a bagel. Yeah. Before that bagel would come in a paper bag. Yep. And now that bagel doesn't come in a paper bag. No one ever needed that paper bag. When taken in the aggregate over the entire city over the course of a year, this is hundreds of thousands of pounds of paper and cardboard that is just being thrown away, maybe recycled, but of course, reduction is the most important. These fast food restaurants were never going to stop offering these bags of their own volition. When we talk about climate change and how individual action is not something that's going to make a material difference on climate change, which is absolutely true. You choosing to say, no, I don't want a bag and then not getting it. That's not going to change anything. But having systems like government say in this entire city, there will be a massive reduction in single-use bags. That is exactly the systemic change that we have been trying to encourage. It would be galling to me if council got cold feet on this, because a couple people were not used to getting their fries in a bucket and we're
1: talking about hundreds of complaints here not thousands it's not a huge number person from administration who is speaking about this you know basically said the reason that the fee is there is exactly as you say there's lots of evidence that a small monetary fee is what you need to shift behavior so if what happens here is you get asked to pay 15 cents for the bag you gripe about it and post on x or whatever you're doing And then it changes your behavior and you now have a bag at the ready or a container at the ready for future trips, then it's working as intended. And I think that's a fantastic thing. I agree with you. I think that's working well. Councillor Tim Carmel said that he thinks the bylaw has the right idea, but he doesn't think that the city has struck the right balance on this. And I don't know exactly what he's referring to, but I do agree that the part about it that I dislike is that the 15 cents goes to the businesses. And I know that we just don't have a legal ability to collect that as a city, as a municipality. Like we can't add another tax like that, but it would be so much better if all of those bag fees, those 15 cent fees, which are going up next year, by the way, if all of those things were collected and went to the city to be invested in other, you know, sustainability and green initiatives. And it's unfortunate that that's not the case. And the city just simply says, we
0: hope that the businesses will use it for that purpose. Consider that your bag fees might fund uh, an e-bike rebate. Right. You're you're hitting on the most legitimate and reasonable complaint that I hope council does address. Like you said, it's difficult for council to address. I suspect the current provincial government would not be uh, super stoked to have Edmonton implement a pseudo-municipal carbon tax. That doesn't seem like something Daniel (laughs) Smith wants. Uh, But totally, this is one of the things where it doesn't feel great to, if I need a bag, I'm increasing McDonald's corporate profit. That is not ideal. But like you said, the city doesn't have any authority to do much of anything about that right now.
1: One other thing I'm a bit surprised we haven't heard about on this issue is people driving to you know, surrounding communities to avoid the 15 cent tax. I think we, we did bring that up at the beginning when we talked about this a couple of months ago, but I haven't seen much vocalization of that since. It is interesting that, you know, in, in most of the municipalities around Edmonton, Spruce Grove, Devon, they've either banned bags or they charge for bags in some cases. St. Albert has said that they are not going to implement any kind of single uh, use item reduction strategy, which is interesting. But Edmonton has gone further than all of these other communities. It's a bit of, I think it's fair to say Edmonton's in a bit of a leadership position on this issue, certainly in our region, but probably beyond as well. And that hasn't been something that we've heard much about. People saying, well, I guess I'm going to burn more gas and drive to St. Albert and go buy my uh, McDonald's there.
0: Well, I went to Wendy's in Spruce Grove and I got my, you know, burger and fries in a bag and I was ready and raring to just go at them. I'm like, you're not allowed to give me this bag without paying the bag fee. And yeah. I stopped and I'm like, oh, where am I? Yeah, they actually are allowed. <laughs> but the fact that like, you know, this bylaw has only been in place for three months and I've already gotten so used to it that it's feel- felt abnormal to get a bag with my uh, my food. I think this is one of the things that it's like change is hard and inconvenient. I suspect most people will acquiesce to this change pretty quickly. As I mentioned costs are going to go up. So
1: we might be hearing more about this next year, uh, depending on what sort of changes they make this November, we'll see. But the plan currently is for paper bags to go up to 25 cents at least and $2 for reusable bags as of July 1st,
0: 2024. So I guess stock up now while it's cheap. Do the Jason Kenny carbon tax thing, You know, go to the gas station with the jerry can, go to McDonald's and say... Can I have 11,000 bags, please? And then you can resell them uh, a month later and make a profit. (laughs) That's just economics. There you go. Capitalism, entrepreneurial troy. Speaking of capitalism, we had talked in a previous episode about how capitalism had delivered a brand new, bigger than Horlack park to the city of Edmonton because the uh, organization that was stewarding the park seemed to have become insolvent or unable to run the park any longer. And this is the Northeast River Valley Park. It was supposed to be open by now, but the city said due to some migratory birds, uh, you know, doing their migration-y thing, they had to delay the opening of the park, but it's supposed to open September 24th. Yeah, so this is good. Uh, Like we've said
1: before, it's always great to have additional public spaces, additional parks. I'm never going to be upset about the city having another park. I thought it was pretty hilarious that they had to delay this because of the migratory bird season, as if we couldn't have foreseen (laughs) that that might be an issue in August. I don't know. On September 24th, 11 a.m., the 190-acre park is going to have some food trucks. The public library folks are going to be on hand. There's going to be a trade show. It should be fun. And uh, to sort of, further promote parks uh in in and around the city the city of edmonton has been running this pick a park initiative and they've been asking councillors to pick their favorite parks over the course of the summer pick a park yegg is the hashtag and they i guess are encouraging the public to do this as well but they've been publishing the councillor ones and i'll put the link in the show notes here and about half
0: of council so far has picked their favorite parks of course i think um I'm not going to say council is lying to us, but I am sure some councillors have a favorite park that's not in their ward, and you will not see them say that publicly.
1: I did look at the list to say just to to, to make sure that the park they picked was actually in their ward, and it does seem like that is the case for uh, all of them. Some might have an easier time than others. I mean, Council Salvador's ward includes Borden Park. It's a pretty safe pick, I think. Yeah,
0: Borden Park is a candidate for top tier park in the entire city. So uh, easy pick. Interesting to note that currently Horlack is not picked as a favorite park. I believe Horlack falls in Papasteo in Michael Jans's territory, and he has not yet responded. But it will be interesting to see uh, if Horlack gets selected as a favorite park or maybe maybe the construction on Horlack has really tempered the joy of around that park. It would be much more on brand for Jans to pick the golf course and uh, (laughs) talk about turning it into a park, I think. Of course, we also have a brand at Taproot Edmonton of self-promotion at this part of the episode. And... It's not quite self-promotion. We've got Let's Find Out, which is a podcast, I don't know, what would you say, Mac? Partnered with Taproot Edmonton? Is that the correct word for it? We say it's a publication of Taproot now. Perfect. Uh, Well, so Let's Find Out. They're having a live show later this month on September 21st, and it's all about how to make a national park. Yeah, I'm going to be on the panel, actually. So uh, there's a few speakers who are going to be at the live show to talk about
1: this initiative to try and make the Edmonton River Valley a national park. This caps off the season for Let's Find Out, which has been all about parks, including the most recent episode, which just came out, which is called The Best Playground Ever. And in that episode, Chris and his uh, cohort go and try to find out past and present, what's the best playground in Edmonton? I've not listened to the whole thing yet, but I must say, as a person with small kids who regularly uses playgrounds, it really doesn't matter what's at the playground unless there's a (laughs) washroom nearby because you can get to the park and then the next thing you hear is, I have to go pee, and it's like, well... It was nice to look at the
0: playground. Let's go find a bathroom somewhere. So also keeping with on brand, Mac complains about public washrooms. Check, Mark. Check, exactly.
1: But I hope to see you at uh, uh, the show on September 21st. It's going to be at the Alfred H. Savage Center, uh, which is right near the White Mud Creek Park. Tickets are $17 in advance, $20 at the door, or free if
0: you're a Tapper Devonton member. uh, And the code for that should be in your inbox. Wow, that's vertical integration if I've ever seen it. Well, now that we've built up Taproot, let's tear it all down with the rapid fire section.
1: The CFL Players Association is questioning why a Labor Day game between Edmonton and Calgary went ahead despite concerns about unhealthy air quality. The league met with the association Thursday evening to discuss the matter further, but fans of the Edmonton team didn't seem phased. We spoke to one fan outside the stadium in full Elks gear who said, the best Elks game is the one where the smoke and haze is so thick you can't see the team. Seeing them actually play tends
0: to ruin the experience. Responding to parent concerns about traffic safety and absenteeism of police enforcement around schools, EPS has committed to ramping up enforcement in every school zone in Edmonton. Said the deputy director of communications for EPS, quote, when city council upgraded every school zone to playground zones in 2018, they did us a real solid. Our school zone enforcement got much easier when there were zero school zones to enforce in. Unfortunately, playground zone enforcement is out of scope for the service under the existing funding formula and will need a new service package to enforce there. The government of Canada has issued a travel advisory for Bigfoot families planning to visit the province of Alberta
1: as a new spending report has highlighted a $22 million media spend by the Alberta War Room. Canada is warning that state-sponsored vitriol toward the groups could make Alberta a dangerous place for any Sasquatches or Yeti looking to retreat to the Rockies or
0: visit relatives in Dinosaur Provincial Park. And of course, Speaking Municipally is a publication of Taproot Edmonton, just like Let's Find Out. Look at all that seamless vertical integration. And there's one more Taproot thing we've got to plug, and that is The Pulse. The Pulse, like you already know, is a way to stay informed every single day with Taproot's daily news briefing. It tells you everything you need to know about Edmonton each weekday morning. You get short, informative updates about what's happening at City Hall and coverage of business, tech, food, the arts, and so much more. As always, you can subscribe to The Pulse at taprootedmonton.ca. And that's it. Mac, um, I don't know if we'll be coming back again because, like we said, mission accomplished. The podcast started to get this pedestrian bridge built, but... It's done now. Um, may- maybe we'll keep going until the landscaping is done. How does that sound? Sure. Yeah, I think that sounds good. Perfect. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're speaking, speaking municipally. municipally.